Thanks for downloading show 131 of the C-Suite podcast, the second episode to be produced in partnership with the customer engagement platform Amasis, part of SAP. My name is Russell Goldsmith, and I'm thrilled to welcome back to the podcast from Amasis, Payal Hindocha, Director of Customer Engagement Solutions, GTM. And joining us online, we have a panel of retail experts from North America. So firstly, in New York is Carol Schuster, Business Information and Technology Advisor from the global lifestyle brand Lafayette 148 New York. Next from Montreal, Canada is Angelo Rubino, Vice President of Rubino Shoes. And then finally from Chicago is Jason Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer at Publicist Communications and co-host of top e-commerce podcast, The Jason and Scott Show. So a top panel for today's discussion. Now, earlier in the year, if you missed our first show with Amasis, we talked about retail marketing priorities for 2021. That's show 123 if you missed it. But for this episode, the topic of discussion is loyalty. Amasis have just released the findings of their loyalty index. And so we're going to be working our way through that report and see how the responses from the 7,000 consumers that Amasis surveyed across the US, UK, France, Germany and Australia compared to what our guests understand about their customers. And of course, we'll get Jason's independent viewpoint on it too. So probably the best place to start is with Payel. Do you want to just explain why you put this report together and what the headline findings were? Thanks for the introduction, Ross, and it's an absolute pleasure to represent Imasis alongside amazing influences like Jason, amazing leading brands like Lafayette, One Foot New York, and uh, amazing clients like uh, Rubino Shoes. So thanks so much for that. For those unfamiliar with Imasis, we have over 1,500 clients globally with a vast majority in online retail and multi-channel retail space. And we specialize in uh, delivering personalized communications across all digital, physical, and service channels to really help our clients build customer loyalty and create those long-lasting relationships with the customers. And one of the reasons why we've done this loyalty index is there's so much buzz around loyalty and loyalty programs right now in the industry. And it's always been a slightly controversial topic on whether loyalty programs work or not and how to measure the success of loyalty and what does a brand want to achieve from loyalty and what does that actually mean for a customer? So before we actually dive into the index, I think just deciphering what we mean by loyalty first to really help businesses achieve what every brand wants to achieve, which is more customers buying more often at higher values and and lower costs. So if we just decipher that a little bit, across our client base, whether these brands have a loyalty program or not, each of them are able to use insights from their customer product and sales data to better understand their existing customer base and personalize those communications with context and relevance for each customer. And these communications, all these personalized communications, is actually based on their past behavior what the predicted spend and lifetime value is net of the returns, what their product affinity and what type of customer they are. If they're a first-time buyer, an active customer, a loyal customer who's been buying from the brand for a long time, but not necessarily part of their loyalty program, but also what level of discount and reward they're accustomed to or sensitive to. And all of these elements that make up these personalized communications are they're tailored towards showing value and benefit to the customer so that a brand can progressively build their engagement with that customer customer and ultimately their lifetime value by encouraging behavior that drives a profitable outcome, but also rewards that customer for their engagement with that brand. And the loyalty index just brings to life some of the key things from a consumer perspective on why they're loyal and what's driving their loyalty. And it's interesting to see that now over 67% of customers consider themselves loyal to a brand, whether they're part of a loyalty program or not. And these frequent 
personalized communications is also what's driving different types of loyalty in customers, such as the first one was incentivized loyalty, which is customer loyalty won through discount incentives and rewards. And we see this with brands who have loyalty programs as part of their overall strategy. The second one is inherited loyalty, which is customer loyalty that is built through the association with other brands. Like typically examples are brands which sell through department stores and the loyalty lies with the department store or alternatively with that brand itself. And the third one is silent loyalty. So this is customer loyalty, which without advocacy, which a customer who can buy from brands and retailers that would not publicly endorse that brand, but also disagree with some of their ethics. And the fourth one is ethical loyalty. So customer loyalty that is built through a strong emotional connection that customers have with the brand. And we saw almost 41% of customers who are ethically loyal to a brand due to the great personalized service that they offer. And last but certainly not least is true loyalty, which is where a customer is loyal to a brand they know, they love, and they trust, and they have that previous history with them. So all of these different types of customer loyalty, it's just a result of a personalized engagement and communication that brand has with a customer, rather than looking at these types individually, personalization is kind of the thread which covers every type of loyalty, but it's just down to the brand on what their value proposition is for that customer and what their strategy is to build customer loyalty. Well, we'll go through some of that in a bit more detail, obviously, as we dig deeper into some of the research findings, but I want to bring our our guests into the discussion. So firstly, Angelo, let's come to you first. Tell us a little bit about um, Rubino Shoes. Well, firstly, Rubino Shoes is a uh, retailer here in Canada. We are based in Quebec. So Quebec is a French-speaking territory primarily. We are a family business. We've been around for uh, 35 years. So I'm basically born in this uh, company. It's a family-owned business. My dad started it. We have 30 brick-and-mortar stores, which are like large retail stores. We sell uh, 100% uh, branded footwear. So the top uh, major brand, whether they are athletic brands, such as Nike, Converse, Vans, and also a little more dressier brands like Michael Kors and so on and so forth. So we have no private label. We have an online store, so an e-com, and we sell uh, across Canada. We ship through from border to border, and uh, that's about it. So would you say, just listening to what Payal was uh, describing there in terms of those different types of loyalty, given that you're selling you know, other brands' shoes, that, that sits within the inherited loyalty space, would that be right? Inherited for sure, because of the brand uh, that we sell. So uh, we have customers that come to Rubino and buy only, let's say, Nike shoes. They only buy Converse. So they're very inherited. So we tried through uh, Amarsis to be able to send them personalized communication with regards to those brands. We also have, from what I see there, ethical. I think what's really big here right now is companies that have a culture, a mission, uh, and a purpose which is what we do. And through the pandemic, we've seen a lot of people returning to their local stores, shopping local. So they've been uh, avoiding some of the mass retailers that sell online and going back to the the little uh, local shops. We're based in like suburban areas. And we've seen a lot of families go back in store and try to really encourage the local economy. So we try to, you know, give back locally. We try to help foundations or organisms that are local here in uh, Montreal, Quebec. Well, I'm keen to get Jason's viewpoint on that in in a second. But Carol, let's just hear um, about Lafayette 148 New York and where you see your consumers sitting with regards to this, this whole area of loyalty. 
Okay, so Lafayette 148 is a women's lifestyle fashion brand. We were born, if you will, in New York, ergo the name. We're 25 years young. We are vertically integrated, so we make all our own clothes. What's interesting is that we were actually a manufacturer that became a brand, which is very unusual in this industry. You know, a lot of brands don't want to manufacture. A lot of manufacturers don't want to become brands, but we were able to achieve both. So um, from that perspective, I think that's really interesting as we start to talk also about loyalty. We're very much multi-channel. Uh, we started out as a wholesaler. We are now primarily direct to consumer. We have 17 brick and mortar stores in the United States. We have 17 brick and mortar stores in China wholly owned. We also have a very robust e-commerce business, catalog business. Uh, during the pandemic, we started a direct sales model, leveraging independent stylists network across the United States. And we're about to move into Canada. There you go. <laughs> um, so we're very excited about that. What's interesting about our brand is that we were founded by women for women. So we're very much a, a purpose-driven company as well. And we pride ourselves in the fact that we really deliver quality and craftsmanship, which is critical, and you know the ultimate in service. Uh, and that's really what our customers are looking for, especially at our price point. Sure. Jason, you've been sat there patiently for 10 minutes. We haven't heard from you uh, yet, so let's, let's bring you into the discussion. Um, we've heard these different kind of types of loyalty that, that Payal described. It was interesting hearing about what Angelo was just saying about shopping local as well. Obviously, you work with some of the biggest retail brands in the world. I think one of your clients is, is Walmart, if, if I'm right. What's your take on this and, and what would you say it takes to drive loyalty to a particular brand or, or a store? Yeah, well, thanks so much. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by Payal's research the thing I run into most often is that uh, it turns out uh, humans are super complicated beings and their decision making is is quite complicated. So what's interesting to me is I think the same person can exhibit all five forms of loyalty that the Amerisys study uncovered. And the, the challenge is how you appeal to them si simultaneously or have the, the right context to know which which trigger is relevant to a particular point, right? So I, I might be quite ethically loyal to my food brands, but I may have an inherited loyalty to my apparel brand, for example. And so I feel like it's, it's important to be aware and cognizant of all of those biases. But then uh, when you put them in practice in the world, we maybe need to, to find a way to, to uh, ascertain the specific triggers for a specific customer and then deliver something that's contextually relevant to her. Pale. Just to support what Jason said there is uh, in the beginning, I mentioned that we, we actually can't look at these different types of loyalty in silos, but rather it's together. So that correlation between progressively building the engagement with a customer and ensuring they're rewarded and felt valued by that brand is why customers keep coming back to these brands again and again. And there's a wide variety of reasons why customers stay loyal and why they keep going back to a brand. And one of the biggest reasons is actually tied back to the frequent personalized communications that they receive and the content that's in there. So from our study, it shows that a wide selection of products that are relevant to them, the discounts and promotions, which are tailored based on their behaviors and past purchases and what they're actually rewarded for is what's driving that loyalty. And something interesting to note here is, uh, and also just to support what Jason mentioned to us uh, previously, is one of the, the measures of success of having a loyalty strategy is how customers show their loyalty towards a brand. And what we found is that 66% of consumers showed their loyalty in the frequency of purchases that they make. And over 48%, so that the 
positive experiences led them to recommend others to a brand. So the more a customer buys from a brand in terms of order value and frequency of purchase, the higher their lifetime value is and the more profitable they are to business. So if we go back to what I spoke about in the beginning, if if many businesses want to achieve the same thing, and that's more customers buying more often at higher value and lower acquisition costs. So it's almost like a virtual circle, bringing all of these different types of loyalty together and progressively building that relationship and engagement with an existing customer customer and personalizing that communication drives that frequency of purchase and order value up. And when they have that positive experience, they're rewarded for their purchases and their loyalty, and then they refer others. So they refer friends and family to that brand too. And referrals are a great low-cost acquisition method. It's also based on first-party data. So through this virtual circle, you have more customers buying more often at higher value and lower costs. And in each stage of the circle, you're progressively building up that engagement with a customer to build that loyalty. Angelo, you were uh, nodding there. Uh, yes, uh, it resonated so uh, so much with me and uh, our company here in Montreal. And I feel like the number one thing is servicing our customers, especially in a pandemic when you know e-commerce was booming. So most of our competitors had a very hard time delivering. So the number one thing was making the product available. People were working from home, so they were looking for athleisure apparel, uh, athletic shoes. So we had the stock and we were delivering really fast. And, you know, ultimately we service the families. You know, I think that's how you build a strong uh, loyalty with your client bases, keeping it simple, delivering it really fast, personalized communication. And the word of mouth was so amazing for us. People were saying, yeah, order from Rubino. I got my shoes the next day. Social media was crazy. So people were like, how the hell are they doing it? Well, the, the truth is we all rolled up our sleeves and we uh, went to our warehouse and we were all shipping orders, a thousand, two thousand orders a day. And we were blessed, you know, like it was mostly word of mouth because we had stopped all traditional marketing. We had a billboard campaign that was uh, supposed to come out. We had flyers through the mail, you know, like mailers. And we stopped all of that. So our marketing budget was $0. We didn't know if the company was going to go to 100 or to 0 And fortunately, it was a, a record year. 2020 was a record year because of the uh, moves that we've made. And this is why MRS became so important to us. And we needed to personalize our communication. And yeah, whatever Pariel said, that, that's 100% true for us anyway. Carol, your thoughts on that? Well, you know, our customer really, when I look at the buckets, we really have a uh, true loyalty. We have customers who just absolutely love us and they've been with us since the very beginning. And so I think the consistency of quality, fit, craftsmanship, and then that high level of customer service is really what has retained them. Even during the pandemic, we, we had customers come and buy in our stores when we reopened again in July just to buy something because they wanted to see us do well. And so that love and that attachment that one can have to a brand like ours is really, I think, what really retained us. And that was really what really drove uh, strong loyalty among our customers. But we also, you know, also do, and we continue to do during the pandemic, but we were also very careful about messaging in the sense that, you know, we were considerate of what was going on in their lives is that, you know, we really kept driving email 
kept driving that more personalized approach. Uh, as I said earlier, we built a direct sales model, which is a stylist network who deal directly with the customers. And we also built out our v- our customer experience team to really take on some of these uh, these individual customers one by one. And so, yes, I think there's a there's real opportunity there to continue to drive loyalty, particularly in difficult times. Uh, you you tend to stand out if you do it really really well. Uh, Powell was talking about you know incentives and and discounts and 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 that kind of thing in terms of the incentivized loyalty. But you, you don't run a, an incentivized loyalty program, do you? Uh, no, we don't have an incentivized loyalty program. I mean, we do have you know we have our markdown cadence of during the year. We have you know as other designer brands, we have you know our times where we start to mark down and discount. We did do last year, which we did uh, repeat just recently, a Mother's Day event, which actually did very well. It was almost like a gift that came in the mail while everyone was in lockdown. And I think people really appreciated that because they were able to apply a substantial amount of money against a, a purchase. And I think, you know, we, we learned a lot through that. But generally speaking, no, we do not have an incentivized reward program. We really incentivize in the fact that we provide excellent service, quality and fit. I mean, we go to the extent that if somebody would send us a jacket they bought 10 years ago and it had a rip in it, we'll fix it for them and send it back. Or if they're missing a button, we'll replace it. I mean, there's not many brands that can do that. Um, we're vertically integrated. So we, we have everything at our fingertips. And so we do things that other brands don't do. And that's really what's, um, what's really tied our customers to us for so many years. Very impressive. I mean, J- Jason, would you say too many retailers rely on incentivized loyalty programs? <laughs> it, it it's tricky because uh, an inconvenient truth about price and incentive is they work right. Like they they do in the short term, they entice behavior. The problem is that they almost never are a, are a good investment in the long term. And so you know, if you're a marketer and you're just looking at the return on ad spend for a particular campaign or for t- particular promotion, it's absolutely true. You can get more customers by offering a discount, but you very likely are doing permanent damage to your brand and eroding the potential lifetime value you can earn from those customers. So you, it's funny, you mentioned Walmart. Walmart has been very disciplined about consistently being a everyday low price le- retailer, what we call EDPL. And that model has been very successful for them. Whenever a retailer starts offering promotions, it's almost impossible to go back to being an everyday low, low price retailer. So it's a, it's a slippery slope, but you know, it's a tool in the basket, but it needs to be used very sparingly and carefully. Nods across the panel. Uh, Pao, is, is there anywhere where it works in particular, you know, particularly well, would you say? I think like to, to Carol's point and even to Angelo's point, when when a brand like has a loyalty program, they're, they're looking for different ways to build customer loyalty. And what Carol mentioned was that service is a key element to that. And, and similar to what Angelo mentioned uh, for Rubino Shoes. And it's clear to see that launching a loyalty program is just another tactic that supports and complements a, a loyalty strategy and whatever that loyalty strategy may be for that brand. But it's complementary to build a loyal customer base. And there's a very big difference between a customer who's not part of a loyalty program, but has a high lifetime value, a high propensity to buy, and a high predicted spend, and has been a loyal customer for years versus a new customer who has just joined the loyalty program and just to get the perks of a discount on the first purchase and they never shop with that brand again, which is quite nicely complements what Jason was saying on the uh, return on ad spend. And 
when a loyalty program is disconnected from your existing customer base, where they're already immensely valuable, loyal customers, it's very difficult to make that loyalty program a success because it's just another project to you that's not remotely connected to or even consolidated to what else you're doing to you, either your existing customer base or to your product recommendations or to what you're doing in a channel and a marketing execution and a lifecycle marketing mix similar to what Jason was talking about. And I think in the case of either like Carol and even Angelo, when they are ready to launch a loyalty program, just having this connected to their overall marketing strategy and their overall tech stack, they already have all the insights they have on that customer base and of that following and that link to the marketing execution that allows them to make this a success. And I think going back to your point, Jason, about an incentivized loyalty is incentivized loyalty is typically brands that launch a loyalty program to reward their customers like with points, prizes, experiences, and build a tiered approach to building their profile in the loyalty program. And this could be across any sector, but more so in the fashion and beauty categories where from our loyalty index, we've seen over 60% of customers build their loyalty within loyalty programs because of different rewards. Mainly they had access to exclusive access to a wider product range or earning and redeeming rewards with points or access to member-only discounts and even invites to VIP experiences. So I think it, it all just kind of comes together, but a loyalty program is just one tactic within an overall loyalty strategy to be able to drive that lifetime value up. Yeah, I certainly don't disagree with any of that. It, we haven't really discussed it, but it, one of the first questions I always ask whenever someone talks about implementing a loyalty program is defining what loyalty means for that brand or that retailer, because there, there are so many goals. To some people, loyalty is having a higher NPS score. To some, it's having a higher share of wallet. To some, it's spending twice as much next year as you did this year. It might even be, you know, sharing the brand on, on social media. But specifically around the incentive, the trick here is generally humans are not good at long-term paybacks, right? Like we all, we all struggle to pay for life insurance that doesn't have some benefit till the distant future. And in the same way, incentive-based loyalty programs that have very big rewards that are hard to earn don't tend to work very well because consumers don't like to wait a long time to get the reward. But then conversely, you know, if it's a reward that's easy to earn and therefore is likely less valuable, that tends to have less of an impact on behavior. So striking that balance of, of having some long-term incentive while rewarding people frequently and early is a endemic challenge in these sort of points-based loyalty programs. And I would actually argue that those, those kind of programs at the moment are kind of waning in popularity. There's some very successful ones, but you know, across the board, we're seeing them implemented less than they once were. Carol, just coming back to what you were talking about with your direct-to-consumer, I know you're also sell through wholesale as well. What I was wondering is, coming away from the incentivized loyalty and going back to what you've got with this true loyalty in terms of your consumers, how would you say a brand can achieve that? Wow. You know, our, our business was predominantly wholesale-driven for, for many, many years up until recently, and, and COVID was really kind of the pivot point. We uh, pivoted to becoming a direct-to-consumer 
brand overnight, um, going from 65% wholesale to now 65% DTC. But I think that, you know, what's really continues to drive, you know, our, our loyalty with our consumer as we're building that personal relationship is exactly what we were talking about earlier. And Payal was talking about, you know, that frequency of communication, that um, personalization, really continuing to build that personalized service. That's really what uh, differentiates us. And, and that's really what's actually driving now um, our direct to consumer growth. And that's what we, we're finding to be very, very exciting. And, and we're continuing to invest in those areas as well in a way that we hadn't done, you know, historically, because we came from, you know, a manufacturer kind of mindset, then we became a wholesaler. And now when you really step up and own up to being a direct-to-consumer brand, there are a whole new set of skills and capabilities that need to come to the forefront. And driving consumer demand is very different than being on the supply end. And so we're very excited about a lot of the work that we've been doing in terms of building storefronts, building out our, our service offering, and of course, you know, continuing to build and invest in our brand. Angela? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, Rubino is way more mass market and our typical clients are women uh, between the age of 25 to 44. So we don't want to be another loyalty program, uh, another card in their wallet. I think for us, it's, it's finding ways to reward our customers' loyalty and keeping it really simple. I think, I'm, again, we, we don't wish to have like, you know, something too complicated and different scales. It's about keeping it like very simple and honest and, you know, just being our customers, our family, you know, they'll come back either way because we have four seasons here in Quebec. So they'll come back for back to school. They'll come back for their winter boots for their kids, you know, so they are, returning customers. It's just finding ways of how can you thank them for their loyalty and, and make it like fun and simple. I think this is where we, we stand for now anyways. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Uh, to me, again, like loyalty is much more than just a, a points program. And it, it increasingly, a points program almost is certainly not the way you want to go for loyalty. And, you know, so I, I think of a brand like Patagonia, which has one of the, the strongest loyalty and highest MPS scores amongst outdoor apparel brands. They don't have a membership program or a points program, but owners of their apparel know, like many of the panelists here today, that Patagonia will stand behind its product. And if the zipper breaks 10 years down the road, they'll replace it. And they lean heavily into that ethical loyalty element. You know, they every holiday around Thanksgiving, they run a, a famous campaign called Don't Buy This Jacket. No, no, no one needs a jacket this expensive. You already have a good jacket. If it needs to be repaired, bring it in and we'll fix it. If you're tired of it, bring it in and we'll trade it with someone else. And so those, those kind of campaigns engender true deep loyalty with the brand, you know, even though they're not tied to any, any form of program, which I think is, is very smart and ultimately financially lucrative. And what about, I mean, we heard Pale talking about inherited loyalty, you know, that association with other brands and, and things. Have you, have you seen any examples of that? In some ways, that might be the oldest. I, like, I'll be honest, I, I think we could debate whether that's a, a form of loyalty or that's fundamental brand affinity, right? Um, you know, they're like, you know, you certainly in the luxury space, I think of, you know, predominantly, you know, a lot of fans of Chanel love Chanel because of what it 
it says about them that they own Chanel. And like, frankly, there are millions of consumers that are loyal to Chanel that don't own any Chanel. Um, and, and so, you know, to me, that's a, a form of sort of inherited loyalty, you know, which is sort of one of the fundamental tenets of, of building a great brand is, is creating that that association that consumers want to have with the brand. I think Apple is another version of that. I want to move on to the area of, I think we touched on it just before in terms of like the, the pandemic and, and how people have been shopping from home, obviously, and, and, and now sort of a bit more locally. But, but it's that, that growth in e-commerce over the last year that, that I wanted to focus on. Is it easy to recreate physical loyalty into online loyalty? Yeah, I think even with the growth in e-commerce, I think there's, uh, there's also been a, a bit of a shift in how consumers use different digital channels. And I think mobile apps and mobile-first experiences are becoming just as relevant now. And they're becoming relevant because they're a customer's preferred method of engagement. But majority of retail sales still happen in physical stores globally. I mean, only 19% still happen online. But I think both online sales and physical store sales now are facilitated by mobile apps and mobile channels, where over 60% of discovery to purchase journeys are started on a mobile device. So when it's building that customer loyalty around like e-commerce or stores, I think it's really about how do you make that experience and, and that frequency of personalized communication relevant and contextual wherever that customer is, wherever that customer wants to be across any of those channels. So whether a customer is visiting a store, whether they're on a website, whether they're on um, engaging with an SMS or even downloading a mobile app, I think it's about making that experience easy to earn and redeem the loyalty rewards, whether that's online via mobile app or via in-store. And it's just making it also easy for them to then refer others based on their positive experience, because that's clearly what people want to do these days. So I don't think we should look at it as a silo channel approach, but rather holistically how it's all coming together and how you use the data from all of these channels to be able to really understand that customer and personalize the communications going forward. Carol, what impact have you seen on, on the business in terms of e-commerce, but also on, on your customer, your consumer as well? Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, we've had a pretty robust e-commerce business for many years. We started it already in 2006. And in fact, it's what saved us during the pandemic. What we did see, though, was a big shift towards e-commerce during this time. Convenience is also a luxury now, right? We're all seeing just like the flexibility we have from working from home. I mean, all these things now, I think people are changing their views. And so, yes, they still want to go to the store, but they're going to want to go to the store more for an experience, if you will. And then the ease of buying that additional pair of pants online while, you know, you're sitting at your computer at nine o'clock at night after dinner and you put the kids to bed, maybe that's also uh, in a way a luxury, but it's, it's just a convenience one. So I think it is about really understanding how she wants to shop, when she wants to shop, and being there for her and meeting her at all those different times and making yourself available. Um, and also understanding, you know, what her needs are, what her, in our case, it's her wear occasions and being able to provide the product um, that fits her, fits her changing lifestyle. But um, I think in this omni-channel world, I don't think we have any choice but to meet her where she, meet, meet her or him where she, where they are. And, and and really um, be able to deliver on all points, all touch points. Angelo, experiences over the last 15 months? As you know, Canada was already behind the USA with regards with online shoppers and online shopping. So our 
business was 90% in-store sales and 10%. So we've seen a 10x growth on our online sales. And when the store started reopening, what we realized is people were going back to stores, but also continued shopping online. So there was a lot of pre-shopping made online and then people visiting stores. We've uh, implemented something called Bopus, buy online, pick up in-store which was really strong. People were looking for convenience, you know? Uh, how can I make it easier and effortless for our customers to walk in and out, uh, making sure that the size was available. So they usually pre-shop online and then pick it up in store. So I'd say we were pretty blessed in the last 15 months and uh, our customers were, were there and they were supporting local shops such as Rubino. We tried to stay connected with them. We try to send, you know, personalized emails and, I think uh, the, 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 the general experience was, was good. It forced us to, you know, improve our online uh, processes. Uh, we had to, you know, do the free shippings, free returns, and uh, we had to, you know, follow the, 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 the leaders on, the, on this online uh, world. You know, we, our service wasn't great, so we had to adapt or die, and this is what we did. And right now we have a very strong uh, online presence that's it. We were able to turn around very quick and we were able to ship the next day. So these are all things that people are looking for when they shop online. But the value that we have here in Quebec is because we have 30 stores spread across Quebec, people buy online and they can easily return to one of our brick and mortar to exchange the size. So people are looking for that kind of convenience. And I have two kids myself. I want to be able to buy online, try it on. If it doesn't fit, I can return it by mail. I have the option of also going in store and saying, you know what, the small no longer fits. I, got, I gained a bit of weight. I need the medium. So we have that uh, convenience. And I think this is what works when you're, when you can be omni-channel, that's the greatest like uh, value. I, I love how you gaining weight takes you to medium. <laughs> no, but not for me. I'm uh, literally Excel, but uh, you know. <laughs> um. I want to change topic to an area that we've seen brands trying to do the right thing over some really huge issues in the world. So, you know, things like, I mean, over the last year, we've had things like Black Lives Matter. We've had obviously issues around LGBTQ plus and, and gender diversity. Sustainability is, is, a, is a big topic area. And then so often you see these brands when they try and do the right thing or try and align themselves to a particular cause, they get it spectacularly wrong or get found out that they're being you know, hypocritical in their own practices. Um, Jason, how important is a brand's purpose to the loyalty of its customers? Yeah, well, purpose-driven brands and purpose-driven marketing is, a, is as you pointed out, it's a double-edged sword. Like, first of all, I would, I would point out that while um, there clearly is true loyalty to, to brands that have a an authentic mission that's aligned with their consumers, it's difficult to measure. And, you know, this Amarsa study, for example, that was a stated preference survey, right? Like they asked um, consumers how much they weighted something. And those consumers answered with their, their rational mind. Like it turns out about 97% of all our shopping decisions are made with our irrational mind. And so the, uh, or the subconscious part of us, the rational part of us, um, you know, is always going to say that we're interested in, in brands that are aligned with the mission. But then when we go to the grocery store and our lizard brain wants the, the sugar coated cereal, um, that, you know, is not organically grown and has no GMO in it, it turns out we still buy the sugar coated cereal. So the first thing I would say is, 
you, you have to be a little careful about just assuming because consumers say that they're, they're uh, motivated by their, their missions that they are. That being said, they, they sometimes really are. And the key thing there is it's only worth appealing to that consumer if you can do so in an authentic way. If, if you're having a meeting and saying, how do we reach consumers? Oh, consu- consumers care about this cause, so we're going to run a marketing campaign about that cause? Stop. You, sh- you shouldn't do that. Like, if, if you want to market based on having a cause, you better have had that cause before you started the company. <laughs> because in, in the modern era uh, where transparency is so, so predominant, if you don't really live your mission or you don't really live your brand, you're, you're going to be found out. And the damage to your brand is irreparable. Uh, like all, There's a, a famous apparel brand, a digitally native brand that built their business based on, on this sort of mission-driven customer uh, called Everlane. And they, you know, they famously had all these transparent features on their website that were wonderful and came to light they weren't very nice to their employees and that they weren't necessarily always living um, that, that mission that appeared in their marketing. And the brand equity got you know, significantly eroded you know, when it was discovered that they were potentially inauthentic. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I believe in company culture. I believe that you've got to have strong values. And one of our value here at Rubino is authenticity. And we never try to surf a wave of Okay, right now it's Black Lives Matters. We saw companies blacking out their pages and saying Black Lives Matters. We believe that Black Lives Matters. We do. But we didn't post about it just to follow or surf on a trend. And people were asking me, why isn't Rubino taking a stand? Because we, we're, we're not just going to do it and surf on it. I think people uh, are going to see what are you actually doing for your community? So we are actually based in the uh, east end of Montreal, uh, close to Montreal Mort, and it's it's a very diversified community. So what do you actually do for the community rather than saying it on a, on a on a post or on a statement? So I don't believe on on surfing on on waves and the trend of oh LGBTQ or gender diversity, like sustainability. What are you actually doing? And then maybe talk about what you actually are doing. And I think that's how you stay genuine and uh, not try to surf on, uh, on the next trend. Pat, what does the, uh, the research show here? The research actually shows that a lot of uh, 23% of consumers uh, stay loyal to their favorite brands due to a strong emotional connection. But I, I also agree with what Jason and Angela were saying here is what people buy versus what they say and then what they do is different. So data-driven decisions is the way marketing should go forward. Looking at the data, how you bring that data together and then how you act on that. And when there's a certain theme or when when there's uh, something happening in the community, it's about having that agility to be able to maybe have a softer approach to the tone, but it's down to supporting your core value proposition of that brand. And it's really down to making data-driven decisions to really act upon the data rather than what people are saying, see what they're buying, what they're doing and act upon that. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly with um, with everyone here. I think that um, 
you know, it, it really does come down to, you know, what do you stand for and being really true to your core and, 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 and really, you know, not veering off of that because uh, the consumer will smell that a mile away. And so it's so important to, to really be clear about what your, your, your mission and your values are and stay true to it and really live them. And that will be the best expression of who you are. You don't have to ride the coattails of some, some particular event, um, you really just stay true to who you are and keep building upon that. And, um, and I think that's true for any brand. Pearl, with, with all the work that you're doing in, in this area, can you share some examples of how some of the brands that, that you're working with are, are looking to improve their loyalty in any way? Sure. So we have a lifestyle fitness brand who doesn't have a loyalty program, but they're building a loyalty community. And that loyalty community is core to their strategy. But how they're actually go about going about doing it is they're looking at the data sources and the data sets of their customers engaging via many different commerce and marketing channels. And they've kind of connected those data into insights to understand who that customer is, what they engage with, what kind of discounts and offers and promotions they're most sensitive to. So they're really making data-driven decisions and they're engaging with their existing customer base using the data from multiple channels and using AI and machine learning and predictive analytics to be able to build that loyal community. So something like this doesn't happen overnight. It's about how do you take a new customer? How do you get them to come back to your brand? How do you engage with them even at a time when they're not ready to buy something? So this lifestyle and fitness brand is actually a, they're now classified as a tech unicorn where they recently IPO'd and one of the biggest brands in Europe now. Uh, but they don't have a loyalty program, but they have a loyalty community and they're building that based off of their personalized communications. Uh, similarly, we have another health and nutrition brand who, uh, again, they don't have a loyalty program and they're a consumer product brand who have really seen a uh, a very big shift in uh, their D2C sales versus their uh, wholesale sales. Now they're predominantly going direct to consumer, but they're not ready yet to launch a loyalty program. But again, they're using predictive analytics and really understanding their customers' affinity to different products and how they're sensitive to different type of messages that to get them to engage even further. And we've got a, a third example, which uh, you'll hear at Retail Revival. In fact, all of the all of the brands I mentioned here, you'll hear at Retail Revival is a they're a multi-channel sports brand who uh, have a loyalty program as well as that loyal community and that loyal strategy. But the way they see their loyalty program is just one element of what they're trying to achieve to engage and build the relationship with their customers. And by default, any new customer that comes to their brand, they sign up for a loyalty program. And it's not that they sign up for a loyalty program straight away, but they nurture them and they engage them and they use all the different data points to personalize for them first. Jason, in the role that you have at the agency, a publicist, but also from you know, doing your podcast as well, I mean, is this a topic that comes up regularly? Are your clients, you know, regularly asking you to, you know, to look at loyalty programs and be creative in in uh, in, in some of the ideas that you're having to come up with? Oh yeah, it, it comes up very frequently, um, and interestingly, like a newer version that comes up more more often these days is is a a, a retailer will say. I want help exploring how we can become a platform instead of just a product provider, right? Um, and I interpret that question very similarly to I want help with my loyalty program, right? It's it's just it's a more modern version of it, and I, I think we've heard a lot of examples on this panel. Increasingly, the version of loyalty that's winning and working is 
helping people live a better life, making their life easier, saving them time um, and, and enabling them to live better uh, versus saving money or earning points, for example. And so, you know, you think of Carol's example of having those remote stylists help uh, helping me, you know, find my best wardrobe or Angela's examples of, of providing more, you know, robust omni-channel features. And by the way, in the pandemic, curbside pickup became the 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 most dominant form of e-commerce of all times. So these kinds of programs are are the ones winning loyalty right now. I had a really interesting debate on Twitter last week. A big advocate for Nordstrom was talking about Nordstrom is the greatest customer service company ever. They have a super liberal return policy and they have a wonderful piano player in each store and they send me a handwritten card on my birthday. They have fabulous customer service, whereas Amazon has horrific customer service. I can't call them. I can't talk to them. They're completely impersonal. And I said that while all those observations are true, the majority of consumers rate Amazon as having better customer service than Nordstrom. And that wouldn't have been true 10 years ago. But today, because Nordstrom or Amazon is much more likely to have the product you want when you want it and get it to you the next day, that's the new definition of customer service. It's, it's evolved over time. And in the same way, I think loyalty has, is you know, continuing to evolve over time. So, so these are uh, very hot questions right now. Interesting uh, points. Um, Jason, I want to stick with you because uh, there's one final question I want to ask you, Angelo and, uh, and Carol, and, and it could, you know, could arguably be one of the most important, which is how you go about actually measuring your loyalty. So you know, what's your response to that? Yeah, badly is the answer. Like almost everyone does a really poor job. Um, so, you know, again, start with what your goal is, why you want loyalty, right? And then, you know, how you're going to measure that. But the real answer and the increasingly popular answer is you need some flavor of customer lifetime value, LTV or CLV. And increasingly, brands are implementing measurements that do measure customer lifetime value. And through that lens, you can make really smart decisions about the impact of all these various loyalty tactics. But all too often, brands will say, I want a loyalty program and I want it to increase customer lifetime value, but then they'll measure it based on last click conversion of the last email they sent, which is like absolutely, uh, you know, an inaccurate way to, to measure these, these long-term customer elements. So LTV for the win. Uh, Angelo? I mean, I couldn't agree more with uh, Jason. I mean, I think for us, it's, we've seen people that had never ordered on uh, rubinoshoes.com and since the pandemic, they've placed eight different orders. So that to me tells me that's a loyal customer rather than uh, click through on, a, on, a, on an email. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and it comes down to uh, customer service and how fast I can deliver. And what we've seen on the market here is a lot of products are sold out to some of the retailers. They have a hard time sourcing the product. So have the product, deliver it fast and make it if, like very effortless for the customer and simple. I think that's how you build a strong like loyalty. Carol, your thoughts? We do measure lifetime value. And, um, you know, we're old enough now that we can. <laughs> so that, that, helps, uh, that helps tremendously. And then the question is, what do you do with that data? And how do you mine that information in order to continue to nurture those, uh, those high-value customers who have demonstrated loyalty to you for a really long time? Obviously, we look at retention. We have very high retention uh, levels. 
and that I agree with Jason, you know, in the short term, you know, you look at click through, you look at your UPT units per transaction, your average order value, all those things to help you, you know, achieve your budget for the for the year. But um, it's really about lifetime value. And what drives lifetime value is, is really delivering, as Angela said, an excellent product, excellent service time and time again, and, uh, and really being able to repeat that every day of the week, 365 days a year. And that's, that's the, I guess, the secret sauce to loyalty. <laughs> Pao, you're uh, launching this report um, at this week's Amasis Retail Revival event. You've, you've mentioned it um, on the podcast. And for those um, listening and not, and not watching the video of this, uh, this recording, uh, you're very nicely branded up there with your Retail Revival poster there behind you. Do you want to just explain what attendees can expect at the event and also how they can log on? Of course. So our annual festival at Imasis is actually really built to showcase the success and thought leadership from our clients and our partners. And if you'd like to learn more from some of the pioneering thought leaders on industry trends or learn from best practices from our clients on how they're delivering exceptional customer experience and service that really drives loyalty, please do register and uh, join us at our conference. You could either just scan the QR code right here on my background to join. But all of these sessions are made available on demand if you can't catch us on the day itself. And you can watch them on demand and at your convenience. And uh, for those, as I said, listening who, are, who aren't watching and they can't scan, what's the URL to go to? URL is retailrevival.emasis.com. That's great. Well, a huge, huge thank you to all my guests for joining us online today. So Carol Schuster, Angela Rubino, Jason Goldberg and Pale Hindocha. A reminder that to find out more about the Loyalty Index, the uh, Retail Revival Festival and any of the work that Amarsis are doing, just head to amarsis.com. Also, if you're looking for more podcasts to listen to, then do search for the Jason and Scott show. That's uh, Jason's podcast, obviously, and um, family business avec Angelo Rubino. Although a reminder to our regular listeners, Listeners, that Angelo's podcast is actually in French. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your comments on today's chat, and you can do that. You can share them on our Facebook page, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter feeds, or in the comments of the YouTube version of this podcast. And those are all linked from the top of the website at csuitepodcast.com, where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can subscribe or follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via the likes of Spotify and Apple. And if you've liked what you've heard, please do give us a positive rating and review. Uh, we're of course course available on all podcast apps just search for the c-suite podcast and hit follow or subscribe and finally if you want to reach me uh, you can do that via twitter using at ross goldsmith or you can find me on linkedin but for now thanks for listening and goodbye Mm